Welcome to Mentality, where we spill the tea on the psyche. My name is Camera. And my name is Light. And today we have on the incredible Delaney Fisher, and we're going to spill the tea on mental health and minimalism. So very excited about this. Very excited to have you, Delaney. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome aboard. This is going to be fun. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, you guys have like all my favorite stuff going on. You got tea, you got mental health, your background looks cool. There's like a lava lamp back there or something. I mean, yes. it's just so many of my favorite things at once. I love it. I need me one of those. <laughs> a lava lamp is always important. Like that's the lava lamp I manifested. I've been wanting that lava lamp for a long time. And the minute that I downloaded next door, the lava lamp appeared. And I'm like, well, there it is. So you did there it job. is. <laughs> as a good quarantine addition to anybody's home. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> but let's get into the tea of it. Today, we are all drinking something separately. Normally, mm -hmm. when we record, we would all be together pouring tea, drinking some mixture together. But today we get to actually experience a different type of tea and get to talk about what tea is our tea breaker today. So today I am drinking Nocturnal Notes, which we used to drink in the studio. Is that a turtle? Tea Spectral. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> turtle tea. Oh There's a turtle in your tea? Yeah. Oh, he can like sit in there? <laughs> yeah, it's like a little tea. That's amazing. <laughs> My tea strainer. <laughs> That's incredible. What about you, Delady? Okay, so I have my infamous hot stuff mug that one of my very good friends got me from Target. And inside of it, just a basic chai, just a basic nice. chai tea. I'm a, I'm a big chai fan. That's my favorite. Yeah, it's just the, the perfect blend of spices into it one is. mouthful. And then I have a little splash of almond milk. So it's a nice. little creamy too. Ooh, yeah. Nice. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love a good milk tea. That's, yes. that's a good time. Yes. I was pretty busy today, so I have a really basic tea. This is a pomegranate <laughs> tea from Trader Joe's. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one. It is good. Trader Joe's teas are really oh great. Oh my gosh. And I had to show this to you. I'm a huge fan of tea, which is, <laughs> I love the fact that I get to be on this podcast. My little sister bought me this incredible tea set for Christmas. Oh it's my gosh. Teas of the world. There you go. You That's can see incredible. It the camera. All the different, all some different locations with different flavors. I mean, isn't that it's like oh the best my gift gosh I've ever can received. your sister get me gifts that's, <laughs> I'm like, that's amazing I'm, I'm like too afraid to drink any of it because it's just so cute i don't want to mess it up it comes in like a little like book is that a book i mean <laughs> it's like a book full it's it's just i mean I, that's amazing it made me very happy it made me yeah. very very happy that's, that's incredible. incredible oh my word I want that. I love it. I'm going to go look, look for that, that after I'm going to look for that yeah. up. Yes. <laughs> Your tea game is better than ours. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much. I try. <laughs> Showing us up on our own podcast. How dare you? That's basically what I'm here for, right? <laughs> when you're remote tea in it, people get to really bring their tea game. We don't We don't get to serve the tea anymore. It's now everyone gets to serve their own tea. So yeah. We're getting oh, served. watch out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. Oh, Lord. Lord. But... <laughs> I'm really excited for today's episode, though. Yes. So today we're going to be talking about minimalism. And we kind of just wanted to start off with who you are, you know, familiarize everybody with what you're doing and, and who you are. <laughs> yeah. So what I currently do, so I am a, a simplicity coach to entrepreneurs and business owners and freelancers and podcasters. So basically, you know, entrepreneurial journey. I help those people. 
Mm-hmm. And I really focus actually taking a minimalist approach to business. So the way that I coach is really focusing on basically how to do less, but have a bigger impact by doing less. So making more money, but also having a bigger impact in your business and having more free time to enjoy your life and your success. So that's my job. I'm also the co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast with two of my best friends, Taylor Tomlinson and Kelsey Cook, which is a comedic self-improvement show. And yeah, that's what I'm doing currently. And my, you know, my past, I was a stand-up comedian for six and a half years, and I've had a lot of different jobs and gigs, and I've kind of been all over the place. So I feel like I'm kind of finally at a place, a point in my life where I'm kind of at peace in my career and my personal life. And yeah, it feels steady. It feels good. That's the goal, right? Yeah. That's the That's dream. The goal. Yes. <laughs> no, I think that Delaney, you are like the just encapsulating person of minimalism into your whole life, like the trajectory that you have taken from being a comedian, then to making dick mugs, then to being (laughs) like a life coach, simplicity coach and business coach, and really simplifying everything down to it's like minimalism is not just a movement for you, like you really use it in your business too, and kind of to where your life has been. And we're both really fascinated to kind of explore that and how that's kind of basically taken on with your life as well and where it's come from. Yeah, yeah. So my minimalism journey kind of started maybe six years ago. So I used to be somebody who was like involved in a million different things. I had a lot of stuff, a lot of excess stuff. I was constantly overwhelmed and overworked and busy. And I first came upon the book, uh, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. And I read that book and I really liked it. And I got interested in that. And then I got, you know, I started watching like the minimalism documentaries for the minimalists. And that was like my first introduction into what the hell minimalism even is. And it really resonated with me. It kind of felt like this is what I've been looking for for a long time. I just couldn't really put it into words. And so it kind of gave me the permission to let go of a lot of stuff that I had been wanting to let go for a long time, but hung on to because I felt guilty about it. And so that was like the first thing I did is I I removed the excess physical stuff from my life. And then that getting into that habit transferred into literally every other area of my life, my career, my relationships, my health, everything. So but that's that's how it started. Wow, that's fascinating. At least for me, when I think of minimalism, well, first I think of art, I think of minimalistic yeah. art, yeah. but I also think of just getting rid of like physical stuff. That was the first thing that you kind of mentioned is just like having very little, but you also mentioned emotional at work, things like that. How would you define minimalism in like those areas? Yeah, I really think for me, minimalism really just means removing the excess so you can focus on what's most important. And to me, excess is just anything I don't like or don't use. So anything that is left physically in my space and just in my life in general are things I enjoy and things and you know, when it comes to physical stuff, things that I I use often and everything else is gone. So that's basically what it is, whether you're talking about your physical belongings or all the activities you're involved in. It's like, okay, why don't you remove the stuff that you're really not enjoying so you can focus on the things that you are enjoying and like hone your craft in that area. Same thing with relationships. 
who do you feel good around and who do you not feel good around <laughs> and and who needs to go basically <laughs> right so you make um, me unhappy you're going <laughs> <laughs> This is my top eight. Thank you. <laughs> you have been eliminated. Yeah. I think I just aged myself, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's just all about intentionality, you know, being being mindful and intentional with what you're doing, who you're doing it with, and what you own. That's kind of how I explain like, it. I love that. I love how it's not just about the stuff. I think a lot of people see minimalism as just like it's a stuff thing. It's like that you want to be like just forbidden of capitalism or just everything that is stuff or that is want. Like you want to just live with the elimination, but it's really just eliminating the negative things that are weighing you down. I feel like for you, your definition is not even just stuff. It's the people in your life, like accessing that, the the energy in your life, the business in your life, like what, what is bringing you joy? Like within the Marie Kondo, we have those notes, like what brings you joy? What, what actually takes in? And I'm curious, growing up, did you grow up in a minimalism kind of environment? Did you grow up in the opposite? I think I remember a few things you've said on Self Helpless, but I want to know from your perspective, what, what that's was like. Yes, that is a good question. So I kind of grew up with both <laughs> my parents. My parents are divorced. So one of my parents seemed to have a lot of stuff, cute stuff, but still a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it's all like there was like, and, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's where it was with my parents. Yeah. Like yeah. Pretty, I had pretty, a family member like that. Yeah. Pretty things, which is, which is nice. Um, and then the other side was definitely more minimalistic and yeah. So I kind of, I feel like I'm kind of in the middle um, between that a little bit. So I kind of was, I got a taste of both ends of the spectrum growing up. Um, but I definitely was with uh, the parent who had a lot more stuff. I spent more time with that parent. <laughs> so, Did you find yourself gravitated more towards that that version as you're growing up? Like more maximalist, I guess it would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always had a lot of things up until, you know, my early 20s, mid 20s. That's kind of when I started. But like I had just as many things, if not more than the the average person, probably, you know, in the United States, it was the norm, obviously. And so I just really think twice about it. But I was also very overwhelmed by stuff too. But I didn't know that there was an option not to have all of it and keep all of the things that you've accumulated. I didn't know like you could not do that. <laughs> You know, it's it's funny looking at you over video, like I, this could only happen the way we're doing this right now. But looking at the room <laughs> that you're in, how that looks, and then looking at the backgrounds of me and camera. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much more stuff between me and camera. <laughs> I, I wonder who's the minimalist. The yeah, yeah, it's it's very clear that you're the minimalist and we are very much not. I'm very on brand in this video <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, because I would say, like, at least how it is for us, it's very much almost like maximalism. We we have just a lot of stuff. Like, you can see oh, over here, it's backwards. Over here, you got a lot of, like, art stuff. And then in front of me, there's 50 pieces of art. Yeah, it's great. So it's like there's there's a bunch of stuff. But me growing up, like, about five years ago, like, I was homeless and I had nothing. And so it was very, like, minimalist, you know, and it was very much like I only lived out of, like, a, a bag with, like, my clothes that I would have and, you know, toothbrush and stuff like that. So it was, like, 
it's interesting to see the journey of the differences between minimalism and maximalism because I feel like I'm I'm more on the maximalist side now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like you you got your way there like you you went from nothing to a lot. <laughs> Accumulating it all, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say like being the ultimate minimalist, right? Like having a bag. Do you find now that having stuff is kind of almost comforting because you've experienced that other extreme? Yeah, as I said earlier, like my parents are my mom and it's still my mom. Uh, my parents are divorced as well. She just has a lot of like antiques, a lot of trinkets and stuff like that. And I, I do really like that. And so especially now, it's really nice to just I have like a bunch of figurines and stuff. You know, I, I like having those things around me. They they make me happy. But one, it's a lot of dusting. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a ton of dusting. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of dusting and all of that stuff. It makes me happy. Yeah. But at the same time, like there's a lot of pain points that come with having a lot of stuff too. Mm -hmm. I mentioned the dusting. That's that's more in jest, but like <laughs> moving makes it harder. There's a lot more things that just I'm very much a person who I feel like my brain wants to be a minimalist because it's much better for me when everything is clean, all of the surfaces are clean, you know, everything's in its place. And that's hard to do when you have so much stuff. <laughs> it's basically impossible. You know, I'm looking and I'm like, oh, that book is tilted. Right. Now I got to fix that. And all right. of a sudden I'm cleaning the house. <laughs> right. Yes, I yeah. totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it's kind of a balance, though, because I mean, for me, like I also kind of grew up with a parent who really valued like this thing means this thing, like kept all of like these photos of me growing up and our family growing up. And my grandmother's stuff was like really important. And I think tradition and heritage of family was really prided upon to me. So I thought like the things that meant something to me, like I held on to from like art pieces. If I had an art piece where I'm like, I know the story, I know the journey of this. I might not have this big of an attachment to it, but there's a story behind it and I need to keep it and I need to hold on to it where it's so useful. Like I might need this one day it has definitely been a pattern in my life as well. And I've seen like the pros and cons of that, where I'll hold on to things that mean a lot and bring me joy. And then the things that mean something, but maybe have brought me more pain than the joy and that battle of trying to figure out where where the limit is of that and and how to kind of push past. So exactly. It's good to have that awareness of, you know, do you feel energized by your stuff? Or do you feel drained by it? Or maybe it's just one object at a time, you can ask that type of question. But it's so interesting, because I think a lot of people associate minimalism with not having a lot of things. But Somebody who has a lot of things and they love all those things and they it makes them happy and they feel super energized and enjoy that, they are a minimalist. Because they only have what makes them happy and energized. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's all about, okay, does it make you happy and or do you use it? So you having all those beautiful pieces of art and stuff in your backgrounds and, and if all of those bring you that feeling, then you can be a minimalist and own 500 pieces of art. Yeah. You're converting us. We're all different. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, if the art brings you joy and you have 500 pieces of art, great. But let's say that you also have 500 pairs of shoes that you hate and don't wear. Then that's where you kind of ask yourself, okay, I don't maybe need these in my life. It's interesting because I feel like we kind of touched on this. We spoke of Marie Kondo a little bit earlier and how you <laughs> spoke about her too and how I believe her thing is see what sparks joy, yeah. right? Like I think that's what she got very famous <laughs> for. <Right. laughs> see what sparks joy. 
I'm curious kind of what you would say to sort of what Cameron said is like, if it sparks joy, but more like hopeful joy, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, oh, this could bring me joy in a certain circumstance that might not ever happen <laughs> in the future. <laughs> or, yes. or it's like a nostalgic joy where it's like, yeah. it's, it's joyful, but it's also like a little sad. <laughs> I'm curious, like what you would say to that. Cause uh-huh. even I find myself having things from my past where I'm like, I don't want to give this up because it's such an important moment from my past, but I don't know. It doesn't bring me anything except for almost a nostalgia for the past. Uh huh. I don't know if I'd call that joy. <laughs> right. Oh, no, that's mm-hmm. so interesting. So the first thing is like, yeah, the minimalists call those like the just in case items, the things that you're kind of keeping <laughs> around, because maybe at some point in your lifetime, you might bring it out one time, right? So mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I will one day use this golf club. I will. I promise. <laughs> yeah. I've never gone golfing, yeah. but I will use it one day. <laughs> one, <laughs> one time. time. <laughs> and it'll be worth it. For t- keeping it around for decades. I'll be that so one time will be worth for it. it. <laughs> one day I'm going to play that mini saxophone mm-hmm. one day i'm gonna learn it but yes. you know. i believe you will i believe so so i just kind of like to ask myself you know have i used this in the last year or so and do i have plans to use it in the next year or so and if for me if the answer is no and no then it's like okay i probably don't need to keep this and if i ever needed this type of item could i borrow it from somebody in my life and like give them a gift in return for letting me borrow that or would I be able to replace it if I really, really needed to pretty quickly? And usually that kind of gives you the permission to to let it go. I can think of an example of like camping gear. My fiance and I own some camping gear and we hate camping. We don't camp. (laughs) We are not the camping type. We like hotels, maybe some glamping, but that's about it. And so we had like these sleeping bags and I had like a couple foldable chairs and like all this stuff in our tiny apartment in LA. And we're like, why do we have this? We don't even like camping we're not going to camp with each other and we haven't used it and so because it kind of gets in your head like well you're just supposed to have certain things for just in case and so we realized that's not something that we need and if we ever decided to go camping at some point or visit a friend who was camping we could probably grab a sleeping bag from a family member and borrow it for the night or something. So that's kind of where you can ask yourself those questions. But I was going to kind of touch on the nostalgia of certain items and, and stuff like that. So that's where I think things can get tricky because if an item is kind of bringing you some pain, it's basically like, okay, is it something where when you look at that thing, it's either subconsciously impacting your day or your mindset or you know are you bring it every once in a while and you kind of like the feeling of that nostalgia coming up but you know that maybe all right I bring this out every six months during this time that's fine you know you got to kind of find out like how you want your sentimental pieces to kind of exist in your space. For me, I I love sentimental items. I that's one thing I I keep, but I keep the ones that make me happy and I display them. So I think a lot of people who maybe are not considered a minimalist, they put those things away in storage or in the closet or under the bed or whatever. Yeah, I got boxes of just things where I'm like, but I don't want to get rid of it. (laughs) Right? Where I'm like, okay, I want to keep my favorite ones and actually enjoy them every single day. So that's what's displayed in my home is the sentimental stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
And just like thinking about getting rid of those things would be liberating and also just like, yeah. but could I ever do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I like how you see like the sentimental things, like if you show them off, I mean, like I have a collection of 100 hats and most of them are hung up. There are some that I may either wear only one time, may never wear again, or may only wear very not ever. Yeah. Some of them I wear very frequently. But they'll look great on that wall. They do. Hats are great pieces of art and hats are like a very sentimental thing. I think also a thing that I've had is like attachment to things of emotional attachment, which can be bad and good. But being able to see the things that you have. If I was hiding away my hat collection, I'd be pretty sad. I wouldn't be able to like see the things and such. And I like what you said is like having the things that are sentimental, like dose it down to what you can see and what you'd be able to enjoy, enjoy in some way, even if you're not exactly using it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just important to know that the memories of things are not in the things themselves. They might remind you of the memory, but even if you lost the thing that was important to you, you would still have that memory. So there's also been times where I was ready to let go of an object, but I still wanted to be reminded of the memory. So I'd take a picture of the thing before donating it. And then I could put it on my little digital picture frame. And then when I would see it, I would still think of that memory. And I'm actually probably thinking about it more than if it was in a box in my closet that I pulled out, you know, once a year, twice a year or something like that. It's true. And it's a lot easier to keep track of things when they're, yeah. you know, they're just digitally on your phone. Yes, yes. <laughs> the guilt is a big factor. You know, if somebody gifts you something or even like a family heirloom, right? That's, that's a lot of pressure, yeah. right? And so asking yourself <laughs> questions too, like, Am I only keeping this out of obligation? Am I only keeping this because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings? That can really give you a lot of good answers too. So yeah, there's a lot around gift giving and, you know, burdening people, other people with our stuff. That is a whole other topic in itself. Oh gosh, yes. (laughs) No, but I I like that aspect. Actually, like recently, a few months ago, I remember I I had a hat that I had like made a while ago with someone who I'm like an, an ex and such and being able to finally let this like it it was falling apart there was no reason to keep this this hat (laughs) and I finally took like a surround three pictures of it and threw it in the trash and I just like I can't believe I even did that yeah but it did feel liberating and then half every other day I'm like should I have done that (laughs) it was almost like an effigy at that point Take this X, throw it in the trash. No, he's a chill person. No problem. No qualities. All in good terms, but it's just like, is this weighing me down by having it? And is this actually, am I even like, this hat isn't even on the wall. What's the point if it's not a wall hat? Right. Yeah. It can be cathartic to, to get rid of certain things. Definitely. You know, I think I'm just realizing that maybe I'm more minimalist than I, I, I came in here wanting to like battle it out, but I, I don't think that, <laughs> that that's <laughs> like you're just converting us. Into- <laughs> I think you probably both are uh, more minimalistic than you thought. Cause I mean, everything that I see in your space right now, I would probably say brings you some joy just by the way that things are set up and decorated and they're colorful. And I see all the art back there. I bet a lot of that was very intentional. Oh, I spent so much time doing that. Right. They're all exactly four inches apart from each other. I can tell. Yeah, that's a very minimalistic, you know, intentional thing to do. Definitely. Yeah. I'm only halfway done with my room. I haven't even, like, I've lived here for over a year and a half in Silver Lake. And I'm like, 
there's still some really like, where do you go, though? You'll go somewhere, <laughs> but I want to make sure it's the right spot. <laughs> yes, yes. I get that. I would be fascinated to hear kind of how you went from comedian to selling dick mugs to also <laughs> to coaching minimalism. Yeah. I know you touched on it a little bit, but being a minimalist and then deciding to teach minimalism is like a very different thing. So I'm, I'm curious, you already kind of got us on the journey of how you became a minimalist, but how did you become a coach? What made you want to do that? Yeah, like basically channeling minimalism through your job, through the coaching of the businesses. Yeah. Absolutely. So I was always a kid and a teenager and a young adult who was involved in a lot of shit. <laughs> I don't know. Can I swear on this? Hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. You absolutely um, fucking can. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, I was always like involved in sports and music and all the academic stuff, extra credit you could do and everything. And I kept that mental mentality. <laughs> I kept that going into adulthood after, after college. And so I basically fell in love with stand-up comedy in college my senior year, decided I wanted to pursue it as a career. And so I got into the entertainment industry around 22, and I basically just tried everything. Like stand-up was always a constant, but I also tried writing and acting and producing and XYZ. And I also ended up having, you know, I had a corporate day job in entertainment. I started a podcast with my friends. I had like this side hustle for fun. I was really all over the place because I think I was just caught in the routine of always being involved in stuff, like over involved. And I hit a really, really bad bout of burnout when I was... I'm 30. So I think I was like 26 or maybe 25. I had a really bad bout of burnout where mid 20s, man. Yeah, the 20s. Those are rough times. <laughs> Those are, yeah, <laughs> learning years. Yeah, so I, I hit that I was I was doing a million things. So I had my full time job, I was performing on nights and weekends, I had the podcast, I was on an improv troupe, I was writing my second movie for a network, I had my little side hustle, like a product based business. And I just my brain gave out. I had to get rid of stuff. It was not sustainable. So experiencing that bad of burnout, I was forced to reevaluate everything that I was doing and my whole life and trajectory. And I realized that I didn't like six out of the eight things I was doing. I didn't even like it. Oh, wow. That's a lot of it. <laughs> right? It's a lot. It's a huge portion. Yeah. Oh, this sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. Right. I was just doing them to do them. And I felt like, well, if I do enough stuff... I'll eventually figure out what I want to do and I'll see what sticks. But I didn't even ask myself, do I like what I'm doing until I hit that burnout? So I narrowed it down from there. The only things I really loved doing was the podcast with my friends that we're still doing today. And I had this really weird hobby <laughs> where I would I would paint penises on coffee mugs for money. And it was <laughs> as like, one will do. There we go. <laughs> It's like this fun dick joke that you could buy from me as, as a comedian, basically. And those were the two things I really loved doing. And so I poured all of my energy that I was spreading out among all this other shit that I didn't care about. And I just did those two things, of course, with my day job to, to pay the bills. The one necessity that you had yes, to do. Yes, the necessity. Yeah. I had to keep that shit, but then mm -hmm. I could do this other thing. 
And then in less than a year, I was able to leave my day job because I was able to focus and actually do a couple things really well, instead of being over involved in all these other things and kind of half assing it because you just had to, I had to because I just had too much. So from there, my product based business was called dicks by Delaney, where I would like you know, turn people into cartoon penises and stuff like that. That's great. I love it. (laughs) I did that. And that, that really took off. And from there, artists, entrepreneurs, comedians started reaching out to me, asking me like, how the fuck did you do this? By the way, like, how did you do this? How are you making a full-time living painting penises? And can you basically, can you help me with my dream job, my side hustle, my project? So then I started coaching Mm. entrepreneurs and artists about how to start and scale a business or a project. And that led me into coaching. And then I realized that basically my clients have been the ones that have told me the way that I coach is very different to things that they've experienced because I make things very simple, very simple action steps. And then I realized, oh, it's because I'm applying minimalism to my business. I'm my coaching. So the way that I coach now is really we focus on one main offer, one main way to market that offer and one simple workflow. And that's how I've helped my clients double and triple their income or their audience or whatever it is by doing less and removing all the stuff that wasn't working and just focusing on what is and being the best at it that you can be. So that's how it happened. It's funny because the way that you describe it, I remember this is, I'm going to kind of butcher the way that this is because I read about it years ago, but it reminds me of something that I think Warren Buffett came up with where it was like, list out like 99 things or something that you're doing in your life and then narrow it down to like 12. And then of those 12 big things that you're doing, and for you, it would have been like your day job, the side hustle, writing movies and stuff. These are your 12 big things. All right, now cross off all of those and like choose the top three. And you have to dedicate all of your energy that you're putting into those 99 things into those three things. I always thought that was really fascinating because it's like, well, yeah, if you're spreading yourself over everything, you're you're a human. Your brain can only take so many things. You can't multitask like a computer. And nothing like rises at the same time, all 12 of those things, you're going to drop those plates. You know, your body is just not capable of juggling all of those things. Your brain kind of has to only be able to work on a couple of things or else it's not going to work. Oh, yeah. It reminded me of that as you're describing it, because it's like, that's totally how you should work is like, just choose those most important things and then nail down how you do those. Yeah, that's great. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I realized that I felt like I became successful the moment I let go of the shit that wasn't working for me. And I define success really for me as just freedom, you know, freedom of time and energy and financial freedom. And that really kicked off when I was I was willing to narrow it down and let go of the fear of what would happen if I narrowed it down. Yeah. Which is can be a very scary process, you know, so now I'm like, I can't even believe me being a person who used to be involved in a million things. I have like, one job, one hobby I enjoy. (laughs) What? And that's it? (laughs) Like, it's great. great. That sounds so far. (laughs) It's wonderfully simple now. I love it. (laughs) I mean, I suppose the pandemic has made me do that just by default, because I don't have anything else to do except for play games and do my J job. (laughs) (laughs) But it has been nice. It has absolutely simplified my life. So I guess I was forced into that one. Yes, everybody was forced to be a minimalist this year. (laughs) 
But it's an effective way that, that you're able to take the lifestyle that basically changed your life, that changed your career, and then basically give those tools to your clients and to whether it's with Self Helpless or with Aficionado, your other podcast, you're able to take those tools and just streamline. It feels like that's like the main, no matter what you're doing. I really like it when people have like a keystone that they live by that kind of guides them in what they do. That is like the anchor of how you take people and how you help people. And I think it's like now unconscious for you. Would you say it's kind of a, a second thought now, not really something that really happens or? Yeah, absolutely. I think in the beginning, if you are starting out on this, what can be a lifestyle change or transition, there is a lot of thought that has to be put into it. Like you have to be very self-aware. You have to be constantly asking yourself questions, but eventually it does, it becomes second nature. And I don't realize that I'm doing it anymore because I've had every day for the past probably six years that I've been doing that and just had that mindset. Um, of course, I'll still, you know, I'll still over over commit or, you know, things like that, where I have to kind of scale it back and ask myself those questions that really work for me. But yeah, it is. It's it's become a habit now. It's just kind of built into my my being to get all woo-woo on you. <laughs> I love the woo-woo. The woo-woo is good. <laughs> Hoo-ha, woo-woo, all of it. You mentioned financial a few minutes ago, and I'm curious, does minimalism also go hand in hand or does it have to go hand in hand with being frugal? Or can you be a little bit like lavish and still be minimalist? Is that a thing? Oh, I love that. That is a great question. For me, I feel like I have a lot of luxury in my life because I don't spend my money on shit I don't really care about. So if I'm looking at kind of my old habits where I'd be like, yeah, I'll go to the mall and buy a purse I don't really need, but I felt like buying it or I'll do this or because I don't really do that anymore, I'm able to buy that $500 massage experience because I don't do all this other stuff that isn't as meaningful or doesn't make me as happy. So I feel like I have actually upped my game in the <laughs> in the treating myself and luxury department. The luxury department. <laughs> and it doesn't feel like I'm depriving yeah. myself of anything. It, it really feels like I'm just kind of used to doing that. And when I spend money, I know I'm going to really enjoy it and it's going to be worth it. So I would say, yeah, I don't think you have to be depriving yourself of anything as a minimalist. Yeah, that's great. I think something that I've learned over the course of this conversation is it's really not that hard to go there as long as you're coming at it from a perspective of essentially like treat yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the stuff that you actually want and not just that you think yes. you want, like, oh, like I could get this, but it's like, but do you really want that? Is that really going to fulfill you? No, I like that. And I think that there's a lot of stigmas of minimalism. Like yeah. I know I, I have a lot of stigmas against it in my own mind. I think that people don't really, they see like, oh, you want white walls and nothing and you right. have to get rid of everything and live like a monk. Like, what do you right. think are the stereotypes that are not true about minimalism? Oh, yeah. That you would point out to people. Oh, what you just said, I think is such a big part of it. Yeah, the bare walls, sleeping on the floor and a, you know, like, like have, owning a futon and that's it. Living out of a, a car or a backpack or whatever it might be. Also just depriving yourself constantly and not enjoying any pleasures, you know, like that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, it's like, why would I buy tea? It's right. not it's not a thing right. I need. Right. I can just yes. drink water. It's a necessity. <laughs> exactly. You know what I think what it is? It's yeah, people kind of confuse minimalism with only having the necessities and nothing else. 
no like other pleasures or indulgences. And for me, at least with my experience, it's been the complete opposite. My whole life is based on what's going to make me happy right now and what's going to bring me joy. And so for me, it's like, I yeah, it's actually completely, it's totally opposite than what people probably think. Most of my day is stuff that I'm having a fucking great time, you know, yeah. because of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. To use the purse example, like you're not just buying one of many purses that'll make you happy for like a couple of days and then that's it. It's like you you then get to transfer that same amount of money or experience or time to something that actually truly makes you happier, whether that be like a trip or whether that be like buying a gift for somebody else or something like that. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> one of the most fulfilling things I've done this last year is buy a really nice gift for somebody who I thought really deserved it. It was a, a lavish thing. I didn't have to be frugal about it, but like it certainly, it feel like it still fits the the mold of make sure that you're doing what makes you happy. Absolutely, absolutely. And I realized that removing all this excess stuff, you're kind of forced to ask yourself what you value, mm -hmm. what kind of impact you want to have on the people around you or whatever it is. And I also noticed that I was just kind of giving back more, not even being super intentional about it. But I just felt like that kind of came out of me as well. So a lot of the money that I was maybe spending on stuff that I just was doing it because I felt like I should because everybody else was doing it, you know, like, you should have a bookcase, you should have this all the shoulds can really make you feel weighted down. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, I have that money and I have, you know, automated donations set up every month and knowing that's going somewhere. And so it just kind of gets you down to the bare minimum in a good way of what you actually give a shit about. And then you have this energy to show up in a way that will hopefully make you proud. Well, yeah, because also if you're dedicating all of your time to those 12 different projects that are draining you, it doesn't allow you any time to hang out with friends or to like really give 100% to anything else because you, you can't even give 100% to the things that you're working on. Yes. Yeah. You don't even get to give back in that way. You're just giving yourself to things that are just taking. Exactly. And even if it's like a thing or a project, you've now found the time to give back and to see where things in your, your elements are going. And I also think there's different types of minimalism. Like one person's minimalism isn't the other. I think I'm curious, have you seen or connected with other people in the I guess, I don't know what to say that there's like a community or a yeah. cult of the minimalism community, like people that you agree with or people that you don't, kind of what the differences you've seen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's such a good, it's so weird. I don't think I have connected with any, I think I probably could like go onto like an online forum and be like, Hey, what's up? What's me by minimalism, buddy? <laughs> I have not done that. I think what I did is just kind of when I was on social media, another minimalism thing, I, I'm now social media free too. I'm getting there. Congratulations. Getting there. Congratulations. <laughs> How's the other like side? Digital minimalism. <laughs> it's, it, it's good. I don't really feel different. I, I thought there would be like, oh, so many transformations would happen. I just, you know, I've replaced it with other shit. It's like what happened. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't really connected with anybody in the minimalism space, but I remember I would follow a lot of people, whether it was on social media media or look up people to feel like I had some virtual friends that were doing the same thing because I didn't have anybody kind of around me that was doing a whole lot of that. Actually, maybe my roommate at the time, she, she was into it. But yeah, haven't connected with somebody to really talk about minimalism. I would say 
<laughs> Who do I agree with or disagree? Okay. I think some methods maybe from the minimalists would be a little bit too much for me. If I could say that, like <laughs> packing up all your shit into boxes, like you're moving and then just pulling out the things that you're going to use that week until you know what you need. I don't think I would do that. I think at the most, I'd probably just hide some shit under my bed. And then if I forgot about it, maybe I donate it. Yeah. Oh, so do they just, they just pack it into a box and then like for a week or a month, whatever you pulled out in that week or a month is what you should keep. And then everything else, get rid of it. Yeah. So one of the guys that was like his experiment for himself, because he was starting his minimalism journey and didn't really know what he needed or didn't need and all that. So they packed up his home, like he was moving into boxes. And for a whole week or two weeks or something, maybe it was a few weeks, he would have take things out as he needed them. So he would take out a lamp because he needed light and he would take out a bowl and a spoon because he was going to eat cereal. And by the end of a few weeks, he realized how little he actually used and liked and needed and donated or sold the rest of it. So that's an interesting way to do that. I think that sounds like a lot of work. And for me, I would like to do a shortcut if that were me, but that worked for them. And then I love Marie Kondo and I love the book changed my life and everything. I don't really feel like talking to my stuff and thanking it for being here. <laughs> <That's just> <laughs> <laughs> you know? Thank you. Thank you. Right? Thank I you. think it's very sweet. I think but my hats every day. I think my life every day. I'm like, Thank you, chair. Thank you, Ben. Every individual hat. <laughs> it's precious. Oh, <laughs> I think it's adorable. More, more power to you. If you do it, I've never done it. I would never think to to do it, but it's all different. So I feel like I'm kind of somewhere in the middle of maybe those two even, like the minimalist and Marie Kondo, you know? Yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm the normal amount of minimal. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. It's a spectrum. A normal amount of minimal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like there isn't one type. There's a spectrum. There's a balance yes, of where you could be. Absolutely. I'm curious, being a coach and working with businesses and all of that stuff, especially when it comes to social media, because that's such like an intrinsic part of life, or at least we think it is. Have you noticed any like pushback? What's the difficulties you find when working with other people to be minimalist? Have you ever had somebody be like, nah, <laughs> I'm gonna not going to do that? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, you know what it is? The common thread is that most people that I've worked with, they don't feel like they're good enough in some respect, in some area. That self-doubt, that imposter syndrome or their perfectionism is kicking up into high gear. And so they really think they have to offer a million things for a million different people because they don't feel like one or two things or, you know, a few things is enough. And we work through that to make them realize that you could narrow it down and have a thriving business off of the one thing that makes you the happiest or the two offers that make you the happiest. So it's not necessarily that they they don't want to maybe narrow things down or kind of refocus. It's that they really they're really afraid that if they do so, they're going to miss out. They're going to miss out on business. They're going to not be something for everybody, that they're going to be rejected. And so there's a lot that goes hand in hand with that. But I mean, client after client will take their five offers and narrow it down to two and and automate that and systematize it and get really good at it. And then they double their income in, in less than a year. So it's kind of this formula that it's very customized because I work with people one-on-one, but it is a formula that you can kind of apply to most things, I would say. And it works. It works every time. I've never seen it not work. 
Well, yeah, it seems like you're eliminating the roadblocks and it, what you're saying from what their fears are, what their hesitations are, are all what ifs and fear. It's like a lot of weight. It's very holding on tight in a way instead of letting go in a more open, seeing what they really want. Like they're kind of hiding. They don't see the full picture. Yeah. Yeah. I think we kind of start off thinking we need to be something for everybody. And it's like, no, you just got to be like one thing for somebody oh, and gosh. you're fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> You just, you're good at one thing and you have something to offer. You're set. You're going to be fine. Yeah. (laughs) I have a question for you and I'm going to frame it as this is for our listeners, but it's really for me. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. I'm just curious. I've gotten rid of probably like three quarters of my social media. What would be your recommendation? Because like one of the things that's keeping me from getting rid of that one last social media thing is. It keeps being like, how do I keep in contact with these people? You know, obviously I have a phone and I can text them and stuff, but I, I don't know if I'm ever going to do that. You know, how did you or how do you convince other people or how did you convince yourself to basically cut that one last string since social media is such a huge aspect of people's lives? Absolutely. So everybody's totally different. What I love so much about my job is that every single client I have has a completely different business model and approach. And everybody has a completely different, unique business. So some of my clients love social media, and we come up with a great content strategy for them and all that. And I have fun with it. So I'm not anti social media for everybody. But for me, I think I knew when I needed to make a change is when the negative started outweighing the positive for me on social media. And I did it very slowly and very intentionally. I started with getting rid of Facebook. And then I got rid of Twitter. That was the first one for me. too. (laughs) (laughs) That was an easy one. (laughs) You're on the same track. I was like, Oh, yeah, it was Facebook, Twitter. I had like a Pinterest at some point, I got rid of that. So I kind of just slowly started close and shop. And I would test it out, I would deactivate Facebook for a month. And if it did not negatively affect my business, I would delete it forever. And then I did the same thing with Twitter. And then Instagram was kind of the last one I was hanging on to because that was That was the one that I had used the most and enjoyed the most and had the most kind of engagement with my clients and all that stuff. And I just realized that even though I really loved interacting with my friends and family on there and clients and listeners of self helpless, that the other stuff was just kind of not good for me. It's funny because I was a comedian for six and a half years, but I'm somebody who just doesn't really like being very visible. And so it's a huge reason I left stand-up comedy is because I realized I don't really enjoy kind of being out there. (laughs) That's a good reason. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was finding that as self-helpless was growing and growing and stuff like that, I was getting, it was a lot of wonderful attention from people sending sweet messages, which is great, but a lot of other stuff too that comes along with it that didn't feel so great. And so I realized that as much as I'll miss the good messages and the nice stuff, those like weird things that were happening were kind of like not worth it to me anymore. And I just honestly felt that it was responsible for maybe 3% of my business Instagram. And I'm like, I'd rather just not have that 3% or make that shit up somewhere else, do something else to get that. And so I was spending time on there, like it was responsible for a lot more of my business than it really was. Almost as if it was like an excuse to keep it. You're like, yeah. oh, it helps my business. So I'm going to keep it, right? Yeah. yeah. Trying to see if it was worth it. Exactly. But when I actually looked at the numbers and the hard data and like, oh, this is actually not what I thought it was. This is not really 
leading to the business <laughs> that I kind of thought about in my head, because I think likes and shares and messages and engagement can cloud your judgment like, oh, this is working. But is it really leading people to come and join the program or whatever? That was kind of different. So yeah, that's kind of what I decided. I decided I would leave and I've deactivated Instagram. So it's not completely deleted because I'm going to wait three to six months just to make sure I don't need it. And if I do, I would I would come back. But I also kind of built up other things in preparation for this. I started an email list because I prefer kind of interacting with people like that in a direct way, the way that I would on Instagram message. And I asked myself, well, how do I like showing up to share about what I do? And for me, it's podcasting. So I started my solo podcast, Eficionado, for entrepreneurs because I knew I was leaving social media and I wanted to have something else I liked better in its place. Wow. That, that's really, really cool. So you, you were prepared. You were like, well, if I'm going to get rid of this, I'm going to make sure that I have backups that are more fulfilling and possibly even better than what it was in anticipation of getting rid of it. Yeah. That's, that's super smart. Exactly. Yeah. It was like a year, a year process. Like I knew I wanted to leave and I just kind of did it slowly and eased out of it. Yeah. And I think that that point that you're making, like easing out of it, like I think people think, especially whether it's leaving Instagram or going to a more minimalist life or a different style or whatever you're trying to work towards, people think that they can just like, okay, I have to start tomorrow and everything needs to change immediately when the way of progress and to actually keep hold or to build yourself there it takes time. Right. You built up your Instagram to a point where it wasn't benefiting you. And you have such a fantastic website, Annie Millis, I must say, <laughs> that it's like that content is basically there and the people who are benefiting from it are already there and can lead other people there. Yeah, exactly. I think that in my, my friends and buddies on Instagram who enjoyed whatever I was sharing about, I think they've come over to the stuff that the way I like showing up. So it makes sense for both of us now. And I found that I didn't feel like I was doing quality work when I was on Instagram. I felt like my focus was really shot. I was spending a lot of time creating posts that were just, they were fun and cool. But I, I felt like if I took that energy and put it somewhere else, could I create a higher quality product or something? And so that's why I do like Aficionado because I put a lot of intention into that show that I wouldn't have been able to do with social media, honestly. No, I think that that's great. The momentum and, and the time that it took and it really shows, it really shows how it took time, but it was really effective. Which kind of, as we wrap up, because this is the, the quickest hour of my life, <laughs> you've mentioned a couple of the things that you do. What are all of the things that you're doing right now for the listeners if they're interested in minimalism? Yeah, absolutely. Or just your work in general, because I, yeah. <laughs> I know not all of it's minimalism. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So basically everything about me is on my website, DelaneyFisher.com. And I have a coaching program where I coach entrepreneurs, basically how to scale their business with simplicity. And then I am the co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. And then I do have my own solo podcast, Eficionado for business owners and entrepreneurs. So those are the three things I do. I'm a podcaster and a, and a coach and I'm not adding anything to my title anytime I love that that's it you picked your three I picked my three yeah exactly <laughs> don't make that plaque yes. any longer that's it <laughs> you got the 99 down to the three yes yeah 
I do have one last question that yeah. briefly, how do you feel minimalism and kind of simplifying has helped your mental health? We talk about that a lot on mentality and want to like end off with to the listeners, what do you recommend if you think it would be helpful or how you've kind of seen it affect you? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's huge. It's been huge. So I definitely consider myself a creative. So for me, with that goes a lot of shiny object syndrome and getting distracted easily and and (laughs) constant ideas and thoughts. I mean, I have a never ending Google Doc of TV show ideas and book ideas and podcasts and this and it's just (laughs) constant, right? And so knowing that that's how my brain works, if I add excess stuff into the mix, I would wake up tired having the brain that I have and then waking up and feeling like I'm looking at clutter, it wasn't working. So I really find that I need a clear space because I have so many ideas and I like to create that having minimal stuff for me and only the stuff I love allows me that space to create. It almost gives me like a blank slate for me to birth new projects in a way. So for me, it's helped my mental health just with the the mental exhaustion and brain fog and decision fatigue. And I've been able to focus on my wellness more because stuff can be very time consuming for a lot of reasons. I was constantly organizing things and cleaning things and things need maintenance. And I was doing a lot of that. And now when you take that away, you have a lot more time for self care or seeing loved ones. You know, it's like you kind of get your time back. A lot more treat yourself time. (laughs) Yeah, a lot more just putting your imagination on the wall, just thinking it out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So for me, it got my time back. I feel like I need a lot of time in order to do self-care well, because when I get too busy, self-care is like the first thing to go. So I almost need to be kind of bored for me to do (laughs) (laughs) self-care. I feel that. I feel that really hard. Yes. And for your listeners, too, I actually I did an episode of Aficionado about how to declutter your home and make it stick. So your listeners might like that. There's a whole process that I I went through with how to get rid of my shit. Nice. (laughs) I'm halfway through the episode. So it's just having to sit down and really like look at the the worksheet. I'm like, yeah. oh no, I have to make the list of what I want. <laughs> Gotta get rid of it. It's like the facing it and everything. I, I love that. And I never really thought about like by having kind of eliminating that space in your mind to really not process the clutter. And that makes a lot of sense of how that can help your mental health. And I know for myself that there's like a balance of that. In some ways, I get very anxious, like when I see a blank wall or something where I'm like, I need to fill it, but maybe not always that is whether that's the healthy thing, or maybe that is what I need. I think it's interesting how everyone processes so differently. And I love that. I feel like I've learned a lot about minimalism in this time with you. And I'm really excited to just see more what you explore with it and, and how you do with aficionado and the more, of course, with self helpless as we all we all love. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You've inspired Thank me so to, to go and clean up and, and make sure that all of my stuff is... Get your shit together, Get you my guys. shit together. You can be a minimalist and cover your house with stuff that is meaningful. Yeah. Yes, you can. Just intentional. Yes, the good news. You don't have to get rid of anything that you love. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. Great yeah. news. There's a lot of things here I don't love, though, so I'll get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good, good. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So if you're interested in minimalism or just mental health in general, definitely check out 
her stuff. And thank you so much. This is, has been great. Yes. Thank you, Delaney. And thank, thank you, you for, for being our me. first guest back remotely recording. Like we've recorded one with each other, but you're the first guest that we've had. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for having <laughs> me. That means a lot. Thank you so much. This was so great. I could talk about this stuff all day. So I appreciate you having me on. And thanks for doing the podcast that you both do because it's super important to talk about all this stuff. So thank you. I'm proud of you guys. Keep crushing it. Oh, (laughs) you're so sweet. We will do our best. If we were here in person, we would all be cheersing. Oh, yes. So let's do a little tea fake. I'm empty, but. (laughs) Yay. Yay, yay, yay. Cheers. Mm beautiful thank you so much we know you've already plugged aficionado self-helpless your email list and delaneyfisher.com but is there anything else you'd like to plug before we hop off here yeah just delaneyfisher.com and just take care of yourself out there if you've been beating yourself up for one reason or another just give yourself a break take a break deep breaths relax especially after this year yes take, take a deep breath relax oh yeah yeah actually i'll use some more deep breaths right now so absolutely that's, that's it <laughs> yeah all right fantastic well thank you so much until the next time we spill the tea we've enjoyed having you delaney and yes thank you for enlightening us on minimalism so. anytime i'm gonna go throw some stuff away now <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go say that stuff means minimalism <laughs> awesome. All right. bye, bye. bye.